So I was called upon uh, to bring this sermon to you kind of a little bit last minute, and I've had the pleasure of going through this, um, through this book, Ruth, in our Sunday school at church, and so I was able to pick up one of my lessons that uh, I actually found the most daunting to teach, but that I also in, enjoyed very much once it was over. Um, uh, and so it's kind of in the middle of the book, and so as we go through this, I hope that I'll be able to um, recap for you some of the things that you would have needed to know before you get to this point in Ruth. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderfully written book, by the way. Um, in the Hebrew, it's very uh, carefully crafted as far as it's a carefully crafted narrative, but it, it has all these poetic elements to it, and um, uh, the, the author knew what they were doing when they wrote the book. And so even tonight, we'll see a couple things where the author intentionally just turns on the lights to show us something. So, um, But as we begin tonight, I have a question for you, and it has to do with the text. And it's a question that I struggled with as I wrote this lesson out. In verse 20 of chapter 2 there, if you look at it, there's a blessing that Naomi uh, utters. She says, may he be blessed by Yahweh. And by the way, when I read the Lord, when the Lord's all capitals like that, I, I prefer to say Yahweh because that's what's being translated. And um, that's, I just kind of do it by habit. So that's why I say Yahweh when we come to that part. But uh, may he be blessed by Yahweh whose kindness who's, has not forsaken the living or the dead. So the question is, who is the he that Naomi is referring to in this verse? <clears throat> and it's not a question I'm going to answer for you right now. We'll wait till we get three quarters of the way through the sermon before I'll answer that question. But I want that to be in the back of your mind because as we consider this question, there, it is ambiguous in the, even in the original text. It's, it's written this way. Who is the he? It could be Boaz. It could be Yahweh. Uh, it's ambiguous. And as we go through and we consider the heart of Naomi and how Yahweh, the Lord, our God, is working with Naomi, um, that's the question. We're going we're to be able to give an answer to that question uh, from Naomi's point of view. So just keep that in mind. So let's recap what's happened so far in the book of Ruth. Naomi goes away with her husband and her two sons to this land of Moab because there's a famine in Israel. It's a cursed land, and they're avoiding a famine that Yahweh sent upon Israel. This was the time of the judges. Things were bad, and things were bad, and sometimes things were a little good, and then things were bad in those days. And so this famine must have been one of those bad times. Um, but while, while in Moab, Naomi's husband died. Her sons took Moabite wives, and then 10 years go by, and there are no children, by the way, and they too die. So she is left with two Moabite, daughters-in-law, and nothing else. No heirs, no means of support. They're destitute. So she hears that Yahweh has visited his people to give them food, and so she returns to the land of Israel. But before she does that, she really carefully, or uh, she entreats and pleads with her daughters-in-law to return back to the land of Moab and find rest in the house, each of them in the house of a husband. She doesn't want her daughters-in-law to come back with her, and Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, she goes back to her people. But Ruth clings to her and clings to this strange people in this strange land 
and this God that she had not served before. So she's bitter. Naomi is bitter. She's empty. As we come through the chapter, we see her accusing God of coming out against her and of leaving her empty. But she is being sanctified by Yahweh, who still loves her and cares for her, despite her accusations against him, which she levels in the presence of witnesses at the end of chapter 1 as she comes into the city and the women greet her. So we'll see the Lord is working with Naomi, slowly turning her from her bitterness and self-pity. <clears throat> and he's bearing with her patiently. So through Boaz and Ruth, as he brings loving kindness to bear upon her, we will see him patiently leading her to repentance. And we need to consider this. The God of Naomi is our God. His character has not changed. And so when we see the Lord working upon Naomi and bringing her to repentance, consider this. When our hearts are bitter, we should consider the loving kindness of our Lord. For by it, he leads us patiently to repentance. And if you don't get anything out of the sermon today, get that out of the sermon. That when our hearts are bitter, we should consider the loving kindness of, of the Lord. For by it, he leads us to repentance. We'll have three points, as all good sermons have, I guess. Uh, the first point is the road to Naomi's repentance begins with the loving kindness of the Lord bestowed upon her. The road to Naomi's repentance begins with the loving kindness of the Lord bestowed upon her. The second point will be the road to Naomi's repentance continues with the patience of the Lord bearing with her. And the third point will be Ruth and Boaz show what it means to rest in the kindness of the Lord. So our first point, the road to Naomi's repentance begins with the loving kindness of the Lord bestowed upon her. And we'll see him bestowing this kindness upon her and giving her both food and a hope of progeny or children in the future. So in the beginning of Ruth, we see that seeking her fortune in Moab brought only death and hunger to Naomi. But now as we come to the end of chapter 2, Ruth having gone to this field, and it says, it's, it's a, a tongue-in-cheek statement, at the beginning of chapter 2, the author tells us she just happened, by chance, to come to the field of Boaz, right? The author is basically saying, the Lord, Yahweh, is the one who caused her to come to the, to the field of Boaz. But she goes out to glean, and she brings home this bounty of food to Naomi. At the point that Ruth went out, Naomi probably didn't have a lot of hope for Ruth's success. Consider... Ruth, Moab was a cursed nation. In fact, they were especially cursed above other nations. Uh, in, uh, boy, Deuteronomy somewhere. <laughs> there are curses leveled against nations as far as how long it takes them before they can enter the, uh, the assembly of the Lord. Uh, for example, Egypt, three generations had to go by before they were allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. Uh, we come to Moab, and it says, not to the 10th generation, and that Israel should not seek their peace or prosperity ever about Moab. And it's because of Moab's treatment of Israel. They 
They tried, they did not meet them with bread and water, told them to go around their land. They sent, uh, you remember uh, the speaking donkey, right? That was the king of Moab trying to curse Israel there through the, the prophet for prophet Balaam. Uh, so Ruth, as a Moabite, coming into the land of Israel and seeking to glean in a field of a righteous Israelite, could have been uh, shunned, abused. Um, I don't know what Naomi expected, but she surely did not expect the success that Ruth met, as we see in verse 19. This is, this is an exclamation. As she brings this load of grain home because of the generosity of Boaz, Naomi says, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth brought home in one day basically what could last, it's hard to say exactly, but a couple weeks. And uh, she still has almost two, week, two months left to glean. So Naomi has gone through a lot in the story, and as we see this, we'll consider she's starting to become less hopeless. Remember what she's gone through. They went to Moab. Uh, the family struck with death. She's destitute. She's a widow. She has no means of support, really. There's no heir to raise up the family name. <clears throat> And so even as she uh, accuses Yahweh of coming out against her as she sends her daughters-in-law back, she comes back to Bethlehem, and, and then he, she accuses Yahweh again. Even as she does those things, we see there in chapter 1 in verse 22 a hint of what's to come for Naomi, that the loving kindness of the Lord would come to her, at least through providing her with food. As we see, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So what has Yahweh done for Naomi? Are her accusations founded or baseless? Let's see. We see in chapter 1, he did one thing that is wonderful that we will see it by the end of the book, we'll understand uh, more fully, is we see Ruth given to her. Ruth clings to her. That's one thing Yahweh does for Naomi. And then we see the patient kindness of Yahweh in bringing her food, as verse 22 says. They returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. He doesn't strike her down for her complaint against him, for accusing him of mistreatment. He doesn't uh, abandon her for her lack of faith. He bears with her patiently, and he works to bring her to repentance by his loving kindness. And remember, this is the character of our God. So her response to this supply of food from Ruth really is a contrast to what she says at the end of chapter 1. Chapter 1, she says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And she says, why call me Naomi, which means pleasant, when Yahweh has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Before that, she said, call me Mara, which means bitter. Contrast her, her, the fullness and emptiness, though, with what, she, what we see at the end of chapter 2 as, as uh, Ruth hauls home this load of grain. And Naomi says, Blessed be the man who took notice of you. That's a marked contrast in her attitude. So her emptiness of belly is filled, at least for a while. Her spirits have picked up. She may no longer see the hand of Yahweh as coming out against her, like she did before. Uh, but there is a question here. Does Naomi see the kindness of Yahweh behind all this? Or is she looking at the generosity of Boaz, she's stopping short. 
It's kind of the same question I asked you before when who is the he she's talking about? Where is she looking to give thanks for the kindness she receives? We're going to keep considering that question. So here we have Yahweh in chapter 2 using Boaz. He uses Ruth, uses Boaz now. Ruth brings the hope of food through Boaz. Boaz now is the redeemer. And this is, uh, this is where we see the hope of a, an offspring, progeny, uh, children, to continue the name of Elimelech in the land of Israel. So seeing herself as barren and beyond the age of a husband, that's, that's one of the arguments she made for, to her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab. I'm not able to have children, and even if I could, would you wait till they're grown up to marry them? Nah. Go find rest in the home of a husband in Moab. That's the paraphrase, but basically it. Uh, so she saw her destiny as that of an impoverished widow. Her, really, her only hope was to go to Israel, where at least there were laws that would provide for widows in her situation. She was embittered, empty of all, empty of all hope for an heir. And remember that, that argument to Orpah and Ruth and how she urged them to find rest in the, in the home of a Moabite husband. Uh, uh, but, but consider how short-sighted that is as we come through this book of Ruth. We know Ruth and Boaz meet up as we get into chapter 3. Um, think about Naomi's plan versus Yahweh's plan for her. If Ruth had stayed in Moab, uh, we would not have the end of the book of Ruth. So um, to get an idea of how important this is, though, this revelation of Boaz and what happens, it's like a, an exclamation point between Ruth and Naomi here. So this is one of those cool things the author does for us. In verse 19, she told her mother, uh, well, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. The narrator is giving us suspense here. You and I, uh, we know that we know who Boaz is because we saw it at the beginning of the book. A worthy man of the clan of Elimelech in verse 1. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz in verse 3, who was of the clan of Elimelech. We know right here that there's a glimmer of hope there, right? Elimelech, a relative, a redeemer. But neither Ruth, Ruth did not know who Boaz was, and Naomi did not know that Ruth had gone to Boaz's field. So here in verse 19, they meet up, they're, they're two, they're two the, the, the Boaz and the man with whom she had gleaned they meet, and Ruth is like, wow, and Naomi's, yay. That's kind of what the text is trying to get us to see there. It's probably not exactly like that, but it's exciting. So consider the impact of this. Listen to this. Uh, Ruth's telling Noah this, and, and you know the punchline, but Naomi doesn't. All right. The man's name with whom I work today is dot, 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 Boaz. That's kind of how how it looks in the Hebrew. It's an unusual construction designed that way. So, uh, But this revelation brings into focus for Naomi a whole new prospect of support and offspring where before she had none. And you see this excitement as they remember who Boaz is now, mutually understanding who this, this man is. Um, 
And there is a tension here in the story where we're reading through this chapter and we see who Boaz is and we know that there's a prospect of something there. And this tension is resolved right here for us. And this is another way that the Lord is softening Naomi's heart. He's bringing hope to her. And no wonder she utters that fabulous blessing in verse 20. May he be blessed by Yahweh whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. When she, when she says he's not forsaken the living or the dead, we see that this is a hope for offspring, for the future, because she's referring back to the dead, Limelech. The name of the family would have been left dead, wiped out if there was no offspring. Naomi sees, oh, maybe I'll have an heir to support me in my old age after all. So she sees all's not lost after all here, but we still have the question, where is her faith placed? When she utters that blessing again, who is the he that she is referring to, Yahweh or Boaz? Does it matter? Um, Would the state of her faith change who she's referring to? So let's consider that as we go to the beginning of chapter 3 and to the second point. The road to Naomi's repentance continues with the patience of the Lord bearing with her. So be considering Naomi's heart again as we consider the patience of Yahweh toward her. Naomi sees opportunity in Boaz, but does she trust Yahweh? She sees an opportunity to solve their hunger problem. She'd been hungry before and avoided this by leaving the land of Israel with her husband to go to Moab and find food. Uh, so this is, she's, she's given us a pattern of behavior where she strikes out on her own to seek her own solution to her problem. Uh, we saw her return was precipitated by news of food in Bethlehem. And we see here again, Naomi has another opportunity to solve her food problem by getting Ruth hitched up to this guy, Boaz. Uh, if he married Ruth, he would take responsibility for feeding Naomi, for giving her a life beyond a life of destitution. She would at least be able to live in relative ease in her old age. She also sees an opportunity here to solve her problem of an offspring to take over the inheritance that had been lost because of her husband and son's deaths. She realizes Boaz could raise up an heir to take over this inheritance. As we saw in verse 20, um, she refers to the living and the dead there. And this son would eventually possess the land of the family and support Naomi and, and Ruth. So, in the Bible, the idea of redemption is the idea of restoring someone who is powerless and unable to redeem themselves to rightness, to a right standing. And we have that great paradigm of redemption in, as we see the Israel and Exodus, of course, in the Exodus, Exodus where... They're in bondage and in slavery, of course, we know this. And Yahweh, they didn't, they couldn't do anything. Yahweh, by these ten great acts of power, and finally by the blood of the Passover lamb, brings them out of Egypt and redeems them to himself out of slavery. And we see those that are powerless and enslaved restored to rightness by his redemption. So we see there are laws, too, 
This is the heart of Yahweh that for his people. He redeems his people. He cares for his people. He loves his people. He is faithful to his people. And we see in the laws given to Israel, especially in the laws of redemption that are provided to Israel for his people, he provides for them a way that the family name will never die out before him. This is a foretaste of everlasting life to come in, in a way. The family name would forever live before God in the promised land. He institutes these measures that would ensure that relatives care for one another in this way because this reflects his own care for his people. God acts through his people to help those who are in need. And as we see in the generosity of Boaz, uh, we, we see that Boaz, as he reflects his God, also helps those in need. But we get to the end of chapter 2, and there's nothing done by Boaz. You could see Naomi's fingers tapping, kind of, waiting for something to happen. And uh, let me tell you why I say that Naomi's fingers are tapping. If you notice, some commentators, uh, Ruth, Ruth tells Naomi that he said to me, in verse 21, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. In 22, Naomi replies and says, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. And so Ruth went out and stayed with his young women till the end of the barley harvest. And some commentators uh, say, oh, this must be, uh, someone must have edited the manuscript and the text must be um, uh, incorrect here. And we should change the verse so that the genders match. So it's young men and young men, or young women and young women. But I disagree. I think that this is what the author intended because in the chapter, it's a contrast between the young men in the fields and Boaz until we get to this point. And Naomi, she's thinking, Boaz, he'd be, he'd be a pretty good guy. He's a worthy man, an upstanding man. He's a man of power in the land, right? It kind of talks about him that way. Um, yeah, don't go with his young men to harm. No, stay with his young women because... She's wanting her to meet Boaz and get married and have children with Boaz, not other young men. Um, so nothing's happened, though. There's a significant problem here for Naomi. Uh, what about all this promise that she sees in Boaz as the Redeemer? She saw him providing for Ruth. She thought he might be interested. What's the deal here? Why hasn't he come and proposed yet? What's Naomi going to do once the harvests are over? What's she going to do about her hunger and about uh, the hope for an offspring once the gleanings are over. So Naomi takes action. And we come to chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So before we talk about this, this Let's remember again what Yahweh has done for Naomi so far in this book. Yahweh has provided Ruth for Naomi to comfort her and support her. He's brought her into the land of promise and given her food in abundance through Ruth and Boaz. 
he carefully steers Ruth right to the field of Boaz, the relative of Elimelech, and a generous and godly man to, to boot. And now they see how Boaz could be the kinsman redeemer who would lift them out of destitution, out of poverty, and bring them an heir. And in all these cases, Naomi did not have to scheme and plan in order to receive the good of Yahweh. Yahweh brought these things to her. And now Naomi decides she has to take action rather than waiting on the Lord. Not to say taking action is wrong, by the way. But there's a proper time and a proper uh, place and also a proper way to take action. And as we look at these verses, 1 through 5, we'll consider Naomi's manner of taking action. What is she doing here? Is her plan wise, in other words? So she has this faithful uh, convert, Ruth, who is clinging to Yahweh as a daughter-in-law. She cares for Naomi as herself, even going out to work as a Moabite in shame in order to bring food back to Naomi. She sees Boaz as a generous book benefactor going above and beyond the letter of the law to keep the spirit of the law And he's a relative who is able to perform the duties of a redeemer. So she puts two and two together and decides, let's force the issue. And we can see the riskiness of her plan in the words used in verse 4 here. Uh, The author intentionally uses some words that kind of have some double meaning. Uh, The word to know is used when Naomi tells Ruth, in the ESV it's translated to observe the place where he lies. The word is to know, which is used to describe Adam knowing his wife Eve and she conceived. The word, as she says, to uncover his feet, that word is used to, to describe an uncovering of one's nakedness. Um, and the word for lie, as she says, lie down, um, it's, it's the same word that has the connotation of a man lying with his wife. And these words are all used deliberately by the author to kind of build up suspense, to kind of give a hint of something's a little off here. And were they not such a godly pair, and were we not certain that Yahweh was going to bring everything to pass perfectly, we too might question what's going on here. I mean, any of us with daughters, would we construct this plan to get our daughters married and send them off to lie at the feet of a a man who was made merry with with drink and food uh, at the threshing floor in, in privacy? Probably not. I wouldn't. But um, So there are several risks that are being run here. Immorality could have occurred if they were not such a godly pair. Uh, their reputations could have been ruined where they found out, even though they didn't do anything immoral. The threshing floor, at least in Hosea 9, was a place where prostitution occurred. As it says in Hosea 9, Rejoice not, O Israel, Exalt not like the peoples, for you have played the war, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. And we can see Boaz is aware of this risk of a damaged reputation. In uh, verse 14, he says, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He didn't want to damage Ruth's reputation. But thinking about, of Ruth's reputation, think about this. She's a Moabite. A Moabite woman. Uh, I don't know if any of you know where the Moabites came from, but they have a storied past. In Genesis 19, uh, Lot's daughters, because they, they looked around them and they saw 
There are no young men around here to marry. What are we going to do for offspring? They trick Lot. They get him drunk. They lay with him. And they have children by their own father. And one of those children is Moab. And that's where the Moab bites come from. And, and Ruth, had she been discovered in this situation, easily could have, her reputation could have been completely destroyed. Of course, this is what a Moabite woman would do. And that's not even taking into account the fact that Boaz is a righteous Israelite could have immediately said, woman, what are you doing here? Go away from me and sent her away in shame. There are so many elements here. Uh, I mean, here's another one that's not in my notes, but I have it in my head from my other notes. So don't worry, it's not just off the cuff. But Boaz, he seeks publicity as he goes before the, the witnesses at the gate to redeem Ruth. Naomi here seeks secrecy as she goes and tries to almost trick Boaz into marrying Ruth. So some, some points to consider in thinking about Naomi's heart. And so we can wonder, will Yahweh, up to this point anyway, will Yahweh work things out, even though it seems like a risky situation? And of course we see a pattern in Ruth that indicates he will. <laughs> and remember the... Uh, the part that God, or what God did in bringing Ruth to Israel. Naomi had no part to play in that. She urged and urged her daughters-in-law to leave. And in fact, go find rest in the home of a husband in Moab. And yet God in his sovereignty brought Ruth here. And he brought her to faith so that she would play a part in Naomi's redemption. So while Naomi's attitude perhaps has begun to shift away from seeing Yahweh as accusing her, like we saw at the end of chapter 1 especially, before the women in, in, at the gate or at, in Bethlehem, uh, her faith still seems to be set on herself as she concocts this plan to, to bring Yoaz in, Boaz in. And, and by the way, here's another uh, a proof for this. When Boaz gets the opportunity to redeem Ruth, he does not say... I will redeem you, sure. He says, no, I cannot. There's a redeemer closer than I. He seeks to do everything according to the law perfectly in order to make sure that this is a legitimate marriage. So, another point to consider. But thankfully, the Lord is bearing patiently with Naomi as he seeks to bring her to repentance through the kindness of Boaz and Ruth, uh, whose faith, their faith does rest squarely on him. And we'll see that in, in the third point, Ruth and Boaz show what it means to be resting in the kindness of the Lord. So even as we suspect Naomi of trusting in herself rather than the Lord, we see Ruth trusting in him. She knows Boaz is a worthy man. She's met this guy. She's worked with this guy. And, and she knows she will act the part of a worthy woman. So in verse 5, what does she say? All that you say, I will do. And she does. But Ruth and Boaz exhibit a life according to the principle of covenant faithfulness, of loving kindness, of protection. It's called hesed in Hebrew. And it's a term, it really describes the loving kindness of Yahweh, the covenant God of his covenant people, as he protects and cares for them according to his faithfulness. So it's a big word, hesed, and it's a wonderful word. Um, and that's what Boaz and Ruth exhibit for us. 
And we see this as they come to different decision points in the book. When Ruth is offered the chance to go find rest in the house of a husband, instead, she clings to the destitute Naomi, taking her destitution upon herself, as it were, and throwing her lot in with Naomi for the sake of clinging to her and going to her God and her people and her land. We see Ruth's behavior in chapter 2 is very selfless as she goes out and gleans for the sake of Naomi, bringing home her gleanings and giving them to Naomi. We see Boaz, his generosity to Ruth is not only does he let her glean, he tells his workers, pull out handfuls from the sheaves and drop them for her, which is ridiculous. Nobody does that in, in real life, do they? Um, this is Hesed, though. Boaz is reflecting the character of his God, of our God. And our God graciously perseveres in preserving and sanctifying his people, as we see him doing here with Naomi. Yahweh is acting kindly to Naomi through Boaz and Ruth as he works to return her to himself. So as we conclude, we'll, look, we'll think about this, the kindness of the Lord and how Boaz and Ruth reflect this kindness, this character of their God. So what is God teaching us about himself in the book of Ruth? Consider these things. He shows mercy to a cursed Moabite woman. She, she, she could have been left in Moab to, to worship her false gods and perish eventually. Consider his love displayed to Naomi through Ruth and Boaz as they exhibit the character of their God even as she accuses him of coming out against her, of doing wrong by her, of emptying her. She went away full. He brought her back empty. And in silence, he blesses her. Consider his covenant faithfulness to the living and the dead while providing a redeemer for them. The name of Elimelech would have died out in the land. It would have perished from before the face of Yahweh had he left them in Moab. But instead he brings them out. And he will bring that redeemer to Naomi through Ruth by the end of the book. Think about the redemption that he provides for the people of Israel so their names will not be blotted out in the land so that their land will remain in the family. And think about what that teaches us about his character and how it points to the work of Jesus Christ for his people. So he's pointing us to this time where we will live forever before him in the new creation. And as we see Boaz come into the picture for Naomi, giving her hope for the future... Uh, the Bible, of course, is showing us a picture of, of that greatest Redeemer to come. And we see him come in his, into history, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, which is where this story takes place. And the, he's born of the line of David, who comes from Obed, who is the baby that is brought to Naomi through Boaz and Ruth. He lived perfectly, of course, to, according to the law. We see Boaz living according to the spirit of the law, consider Jesus the better Boaz even. Boaz is ridiculously better than us, maybe. And Jesus is ridiculously better than Boaz. In fact, Jesus suffered for our bitterness, for no sin of his own, and he perfectly exhibits the kindness of God toward us as he leads us to repentance. So Naomi's being worked on by Yahweh, 
She's being changed from a bitter and empty widow who trusts in herself and considers Yahweh as her enemy, essentially, to a woman who sees the fullness of Yahweh's kindness in the form of a baby lying in her lap at the end of the book in Obed. And as we see her being brought to repentance by his kindness, consider how, he, how we, when our hearts are bitter, should consider the loving kindness of our Lord, for by it he patiently leads us to repentance. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are patient, that you are kind toward us, and that we can have confidence that all that we go through here on this earth is for our good and for your glory, even as it hurts and we don't like it. Grant us the ability to constantly consider our, G our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate expression of your kindness toward us, and may we trust him as we go forth out of this place. In his name, amen. So let's stand and sing our song of thanksgiving. Number 246, Man of Sorrows. <clears throat> 